0: Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rcc.church. Welcome. I know you've heard it multiple times already, but welcome uh, back to Gunston. If you were connected to RCC about a year and a half ago, which was the last time we were here, March of 2020, this is where we gathered and then the pandemic hit and we have done a number of things over the course of the last year and a half. Uh, So for some of you, it's welcome back, and for others, it's welcome, because you have found um, the church over the course of the pandemic, and um, we've been so excited for this moment, super grateful, particularly to the Synetic Theater, who gave us a space um, to meet with on a Sunday morning for the last year, but there's so many things that we've been anticipating, like you getting to drive up this morning and park really close to the gathering and getting to walk into a lobby that has natural light and being able to you know bring your kids right over to RCC kids with multiple different classrooms that are really close by right so many things we couldn't wait for you to experience Um, the lack of air conditioning was not one of them. Um, it was not like, and bonus, nobody's gonna have to go spend time in a sauna this afternoon. We're gonna recreate right here uh, for you. Um, not gonna lie, it felt like, um, it just felt like so appropriate for where we're at as a world right now, uh, that in the midst of all of this pandemic craziness, we got an email on Friday afternoon saying, hey, we've been working like crazy to fix the air on Sunday, and we had known that they had some issues with it, and they just were like, man, there was a part that we couldn't get in enough time, uh, but hopefully it's not going to be too bad in there on Sunday morning, and we were like, man, we want to still bring everybody back and have an opportunity to gather. And I'm just grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for your patience. Um, I promise you, this is not my manipulative attempt to be like, hey, by the way, we are doing baptisms. There will be a refreshing tub of water up here in a minute. And maybe today's your day. You've been putting it off and Jesus is speaking to you now, telling you it's time to get baptized. I promise um, we're not that manipulative or that clever uh, but just thanks for your grace and thanks for the fact that we get to come back celebrating uh, baptisms we're gonna come back next week celebrate child dedications kind of doing some of the things that we love to do as a church and for this week and next week we are going to look at um, what is for many of us a familiar passage of Scripture for uh, some of us a passage of Scripture that will seem uh, brand new but it's an account that we get at the end of chapter 10 of Luke's gospel so if you brought a copy of the scripture um, I want want to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 38 to 42 um, this week and next week. Um, We're going to be talking about these two women, Martha and Mary, um, They're sort of a, a famous duo in the New Testament. They appear a number of different times. Um, it's their brother, Lazarus, who Jesus ultimately raises from the dead right before he enters Jerusalem for the final time. And, and what it seems like as you read the New Testament, um, you get the impression that Mary, Martha, Lazarus, their family was among some of Jesus' closest friends, right? That they spent a lot of time with him, that there's a lot of relationships. Familiarity. So, we're going to kind of in this um, little story see what happens um, one day when they invite Jesus over for dinner and just spend some time looking at that. Now, the reason that we're looking at that incident at this moment of time is that I think it speaks directly to some of the most significant challenges you and I have um, in following Jesus today. I don't think it's going to take much work for ourselves to find kind of our place in that story, right? Because you, you kind of know for many of us, this is a familiar plot line, um, Mary and Martha invite Jesus over, um, they spend some time in uh, the house together, Martha's in the kitchen, she's kind of preparing um, the meal, and while Martha's in there kind of working like crazy in the kitchen, Mary's just hanging out in the living room uh, with Jesus, kind of just having a little chat with Jesus, um, and then, you know, Martha kind of has this awkward moment where um, she's just frustrated. She's had it. And for reasons that are not clear, she decides to bypass the like, hey, Mary, could, could I see you in the kitchen for a minute? Hey, girlfriend, I could use some help. She doesn't do that. Martha decides to go straight to Jesus. She's like, "Yeah, excuse me. Let me just interrupt this little chat you two are having. Jesus, could you please tell Mary to get in the kitchen and help me out?" And you're like, "Ho oh, ho, awkward." And and no doubt, Jesus though is going to say, eh, "Fair point. You know what? Why don't we all come and help you together?" But that's not what happens. Jesus is like actually, you know, Martha, you got some stuff going on in your own soul. You need to work through that. Uh, Mary's actually making the right decision. And, you know, I will tell you that this is a story that I think, if you stick with me for a couple of minutes, I think you're going to see it connects directly to our lives today. But if you're just hearing that kind of basic chronology and you're like, wait a minute, I have a problem with that. I just want you to know that I'm right there with you. For years, this story frustrated me to no end, right? Maybe it's just because I'm the oldest in my family, I'm the oldest of five, um, and I just sort of identify with the older sibling who's in there doing all the work while all the younger kids are playing in the living room, right, but I remember reading this when I was a kid and being like, wait, this is so, this is just so unfair. Like, what what do you mean? Martha's in there working like crazy, Mary, hanging out with Jesus, and somehow Martha ends up being the bad guy in the story? Like, somehow we walk away and are like, yeah, Martha, we'll pray for her. And I'm like, that is so wrong. That's so unfair, right? But what we do with that is, to make it even worse, as the church kind of 21st century america we get the vibe of the story even if we're uncomfortable with it we're like okay obviously martha's doing something wrong so then we just turn her into this like caricature of this overdriven type a stressed out workaholic you know no relational skills we just make her you know uh, nothing more than a cautionary tale we just assume that Martha's whole role in scripture is to be like, yeah, don't be like Martha. And obviously, there's some things that Martha doesn't get right here. And we're going to talk about that. And it's going to be really helpful for us. But in order for the message to connect with us today, we need to rehabilitate Martha for a couple of minutes. And realize that she is far more than just a cautionary tale. That, in fact, she is a tremendously devoted follower of Jesus who has this beautiful heart to serve God, right? Look at the beginning of the story with me. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they, that's Jesus and the disciples, they've been traveling around, um, went, their, went on their way. Jesus, for some reason, he seems to come by himself. He seems to leave the guys behind and he enters the village. We know from John's gospel, this is the village of Bethany. He goes into the village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into Bethany her house. The implication is Martha hears that Jesus is coming into town and she goes out on her own initiative. She goes out and she's like, hey, would you please come over to my house, right? She loves Jesus. She has a desire to serve Jesus. In some ways, we look at everything that happens there and we're like, look, she's really just trying to be a good hostess. She went out and invited him over for dinner. He said yes, and she's just trying to get everything ready how could that be so wrong and I don't know that that is so wrong right she's sitting there being like hey look y'all dinner isn't gonna cook itself and they haven't invented DoorDash yet so somebody's got to make dinner I guess it'll be me right but not only that she addresses Jesus as Lord in verse 40 which we just kind of gloss over that but that's a really big deal Because it means that at this point in Luke's gospel, she has not only figured out who Jesus really is, but there's enough relational intimacy that she comfortably refers to Jesus as Lord in her own living room. This is a woman who is fully dialed in to who Jesus of Nazareth is and who almost casually addresses him as Lord. By the way, that conclusion is affirmed by Luke in the very next verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 41, where it says, But the Lord answered her. She wasn't wrong in her assessment of who Jesus is. But more than that, if we go over to John chapter 11, when we encounter Mary and Martha again, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, we realize that her theology is actually pretty sophisticated. John chapter 11, verse 27, she, that's Martha, said to him, that's Jesus, yes, Lord, it Is again, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Right, We usually make a really big deal out of Matthew chapter 16 where Peter correctly identifies that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus says, yes, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. We have this moment where we're like, wow, Peter, he's such a rock star. He gets it right. He knows who Jesus is. And honestly, Martha is probably more accurate in her description. Yes, that he is the Christ, that he is Lord, that he is son of God, and he who is coming into the world. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. He's the one that all of the prophets have been pointing to. And she just understands that. Right? So she is not just an overly stressed out, cautionary tale. She would be a model member of our church. We would point to Martha as somebody who has it all together, her doctrine is nailed down. I mean, she does a lot for God, right? There, there's a lot of us in the room that, yes, with appropriate humility, and we'd kind of hedge a little bit. But there's a lot of us in the room that kind of fall into those categories. We're like, yeah, I, I kind of kind of anchored myself in Scripture. And I'm doing some stuff for God. No, that's not all of us. Some of us are like, man, I'm just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And you know, I would refer you to Martha's conclusions because she gets it right and who He is. But what I want us to see is that you can have a tremendous amount of head knowledge, and you can be tremendously busy with your hands, and still miss something essential in your heart. You can still fall into the same trap that Martha does, and it's the trap of having a distracted soul, right? That's what's going on with Martha. And for you and me, if we're going to learn to follow Jesus well, we need to learn how to recognize and respond to the reality that our souls get so easily distracted, right? Because keep going, that's the real issue here, right? She, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. That, That word distracted can also be translated pulled away. Right? like I think about the moments where my kids really want my attention and I'm in the kitchen. I'm like, no, no, I'm talking to mom. Like, mom and I are trying to catch up at the end of the day. And, and when they get frustrated enough, they'll usually kind of grab my hand or a T-shirt or belt or whatever they can grab and try to like pull me away. Right? Kind of be like, no, you are going to come in and see what I need you to see. Or you're going to come in and see what you know, my sibling did. Or you know, what, whatever they're trying to call my attention to. That's kind of what's going on with Martha here, right? There, there are things tugging at her that are pulling her away from what God intends to do in her life that day. And that's the thing that we need to see, right? When we talk about spiritual distraction, don't don't just think in terms of like, you know, ADD for the soul, or like, man, I just don't have a good attention span, or, oh, I know where this is going. This is going to be a sermon about push notifications on my phone. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, that's not the entirety of what this is about. This is about the fact that Martha is not living with an awareness of what God is doing in her life in that moment. See, the key idea, go back to verse 39, Mary sitting at the Lord's feet. We'll talk next week about what that, that means. It does not mean that she's literally sitting on the floor. We'll come back to that. Um, and she was listening to his teaching. The mistake that we make is we assume that they're just chatting. Right? The mistake we make is we assume they're just kind of catching up on life and being like, no, Jesus, again, tell me about the walk on water. How the heck? Like, how did you do that? You know, and did you hear about this and what's going on and all that? That's not what's happening. Jesus has accepted the invitation to come over. And we don't know exactly what's happening in the living room. But the text conveys the idea that it's this moment of instruction, I actually think it's interesting that for Luke's purposes, he doesn't tell us what Jesus is teaching about. He's like, actually, for right now, that's less significant. What matters is that he's having this moment where he is explaining something, right? He is not just hanging out, he's teaching, and Martha is unaware of that, or Martha has been pulled away from that. That is the reality for us and for our lives, right? Because in the worldview of the Bible, in order for you and I to follow Jesus well, we do not just need a general set of principles. We do not just need some you know, general marching orders and then we go figure it out on our own. Right? The scripture envisions us living with a day-to-day awareness of what God is doing in our lives in this moment, right? Which yes, rests on a massive assumption that God is doing something in your life today. That God will be doing something in your life tomorrow right, that God will be with you, that God will be present, that God will be wanting to lead you throughout the course of the day. And the scripture basically says, look, if you want to live well for Jesus, you have got to stay in touch with what he's doing, right? If you look at the book of Psalms, which is essentially the prayer book for the church, you realize that there's 150 of them. Of those 150 Psalms, there are 12 that include specific prayers for the leadership of God, right? There are others that kind of refer to it or make the same point the same way, you know, same point different way. But if you were to just read through the Psalms and say, hey, how many of these talk about the leadership of God? You would realize that there's 12 of them. Most famously, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Look at this. He leads me Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And again, we as individualistic 21st century Americans, we tend to think about leadership as like, right, he's written some stuff down, and we read this, and we just kind of follow it. Look, in the worldview of the Bible, the leadership of God is less college lecture And more me walking down the street on Friday afternoon holding my four-year-old daughter's hand. That's the leadership of God. Sure, there are principles and truths and a beautiful narrative arc of scripture. And there's so many things God has given us in his word. I am not minimizing the word of God at all. What we're trying to elevate today is that amidst the power of the word of God, there should be a sense that we're walking through life as connected to what God is doing as Emma is connected to what I'm doing when I'm holding her hand. And the Bible says to lose sight of that connection, to let that drift, to lose an awareness of what God is doing is as spiritually dangerous for us as it is dangerous for my four-year-old to try to cross the road not holding onto my hand. The Bible's like, "You, you don't want to do that. Right? You, you want to maintain this awareness with God. And that's what's at stake with this issue of a distracted soul. It's about being attentive to what God is doing in our lives today. And I don't think it could be any more relevant because we live in the most distracted day and age in all of human history. I know, You're like, I know, go ahead, insert Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, text, Netflix, internet, smoke, smartphone rant here. And I'm like, well, look, none of that's helping. I mean, you know, the fact that your phone pings every time somebody sends you a junk email, that's not helping your soul stay attuned to what God wants to do in the moment. But let's take a minute and realize the obvious. Martha gets distracted before Facebook. In fact, just to up the ante, Martha's distracted before electricity, right? So we can't just blame this on technology. This is not like, I oh, know, distracted souls, Ugh, Mark Zuckerberg, right? This is something that's part of our humanity. This is something she struggles with before Any of the things that we normally point the finger to as a source of distraction in our lives, which causes us to wrestle with, okay, but what is this root cause of spiritual distraction? Yeah, we often satisfy that distraction by looking at our phones and surfing the internet and all the other things that we do, but those are symptoms. That's not the cause, right? it's, It's not the push notification that gets us in trouble. It's the reality of our soul. It's the reality that we see in Martha, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She's distracted because she's worried. She's distracted because she's anxious. She's distracted because she's a lot like you and me. Where she carries with her this list of what ifs. What what if this goes wrong? What if this doesn't play out the way I hope? Right? What, what if we put a need in front of us as a church to help purchase a motorbike for about $3,200 and we just turn a cold shoulder of indifference? What, what if that happens? What does that say about us? What does it say about us if our hearts aren't moved by Afghan refugees that are seeking a new life in our city? She's got her what ifs. She's got all the things that she's worried. What if that goes wrong? Right? What, what if the theater's too hot? What, what if, what if, what if? That's just my world right now. But she also has the list of how am I gonna get it all done? Right? I think if you had said, hey Martha, you know, come on, sit down in the living room with Jesus. Now, I'm gonna read between the lines a little bit here, but I suspect Martha's answer, if you've been like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just go sit with Jesus? I think she would have been like, "Well, that's great. What a lovely idea." Who is preparing dinner, by the way? Right, which, which is kind of where we're, we live. Of like, "Oh, that's so nice. You want me to have an undistracted soul and just sit peaceably at the feet of Jesus? That's awesome." I have four kids right it's sort of the like you know how great beautiful word picture but what about my boss right she hasn't gotten the message yet she's already emailed me 3 times on a sunday morning not really a respecter of personal boundaries and she's expecting to get answers back from me by 2 p.m. this afternoon so thank you very much but i can't just go sit at the feet of jesus i've got a job got a marriage i've got kids. I've got responsibilities around the house. I've got things I have to do. What about all of that stuff? I think that's exactly what Martha would have said. I think she would have been like, well, that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. I just can't. And I'm desperate not to leave us in the same place, right? I'm desperate not to leave us in the place of, you know that distractions eroding your relationship with God. You got to get undistracted and you got to get in the living room with Jesus. Stop being hot and sweaty in the kitchen and go sit down and have, you know, um, a refreshing beverage with Jesus in the living room. I'm not sure what beverage they were having, so we'll keep it vague, Right? You're like, that's not helpful because we're like, yeah, but I have a real life, right? That's honestly part of what used to frustrate me about this passage when I heard it as a kid. I'm like, well, that's great if you're a priest. That's great for a pastor. You just sit around professionally at the feet of Jesus. But the rest of us that have real jobs, that doesn't work. That's probably not an accurate picture of ministry. I promise you we don't just sit around at the feet of Jesus all day and be like, oh, I know, David, sing for us right now. Oh, man, this is great, right? We have plenty of real-world problems that we have to work through as well. But we don't want to just have this moment of like, you know, you should be doing better. Because there's actually something else that's going on with Martha. It's what we really need to learn. Right? Martha doesn't just need a lecture to get in the living room with Jesus, and you don't just need a lecture to get in the living room with Jesus. Martha needs to learn, and we need to learn how to fight back against the root cause of distraction. As it turns out, Martha's issue, and I'm gonna explain this a little bit more next week, so come back, but her primary issue is a lack of trust in God. And that's the root cause of our distraction. We end up with distracted souls. We end up with worry and anxiety. I'm not talking about anxiety that has a biochemical cause. I'm just talking about that restlessness in our souls that comes from what if and how is it all going to get done because we're struggling to learn how to trust God, right? Look at Matthew chapter 6 with me, verse 32 and 33. Jesus goes through the whole, you know, birds of the field, you know, birds of the air, flowers in the field. They're all provided for He says, don't worry about clothes, don't worry about food, don't worry about shelter. For the Gentiles, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, look, the way that you deal with anxiety, the way that you deal with worry, the thing that you do is learn to trust God, to learn to trust God with the what-ifs of our life, To learn to trust God with the whatabouts of our life. To learn to trust the provision of God that he is going to give us everything that we need to fulfill his will for our lives. To learn that it's okay when God invites us to come in and sit at his feet for a minute that we can take him up on the offer because we can trust him to show us how dinner's actually gonna get on the table. That's the challenge. The challenge is to walk out of the kitchen not entirely sure how it's all going to get done, but to do it because you're entirely sure that God has called you to a moment of rest. Or God has called you to close your computer and go invest time in your kids, or God has called you to leave behind a comfortable Friday night for the sake of serving somebody in your small group that just had a baby, or God is calling you to do whatever God's calling you to do, and, and say, yes. In those moments where the, we hear the still small voice of God, we go into overdrive of, what if and what about and how?" And, and how do you?" and all that, and just learning to trust and say, "You know what? I don't need to have the answers to all of those questions. I just need to know that God is faithful, that he is going to enable me to get it all done, that he's going to provide, and that the smartest and safest and best thing I can do is trust him to go follow him. Now, here's the trick. You're like, okay, great. How do I develop that trust with God? That's what we're going to talk about next week. But I will tell you this, spoiler alert for next week. It starts and it ends with the very thing that we're going to celebrate in a few minutes with baptism. The reason you can trust God is because the creator of the universe sent his son to die in your place on the wood of the cross so that you could find a new an eternal life. That God knew all of the mess that we were going to make The mess that we were going to make in our own bodies, the mess that we were going to make in our own families, the mess we were going to make in our churches, in our careers, in our extended families. He knew the whole thing. And rather than condemn us, rather than judge us, he sent his son to die in our place. So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be welcomed into family of God. And we look at that cross and we say, wait a minute, if God was willing to do that for me, that means I can trust Him with what I need for tomorrow. If I'm trusting God with my eternity, I can trust Him with Monday morning. Right, that's why we're going to take a minute to celebrate baptism together, and then next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about Mary, kind of what we learned from her and where her trust in God comes from. So, I'm looking forward to seeing you next Sunday, but for right now, let's take a minute. Let's pray. Father, I'm just asking you, Lord God, to give us grace. Father, I think all of us are deeply aware of the distraction in our souls. I think we all know the extent to which we struggle with this. And God, we need more than a reminder that that's not the way it's supposed to be. We need you today to deepen our trust. Help us to live in a way that honors you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.